Lord God, we are expecting words coming to you through Brother Larry as he brings us your word, the only truth that we can stand on comes from your word. And we are so thankful that you gave us the book to live by, Father God, that we can know and understand you more just by reading the word that you provided with us this year. So, Father God, uh, we just pray for Brother Larry right now as he is ready to speak. And uh, we thank you that you are using him as an instrument here at OCC. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just uh, bring a calm and confidence over him as he preaches your word. May he bring the message that you want us to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning again, everyone. Um, real quick, we have a couple announcements. You want to... Um, yeah. Yeah, so on the back of your bulletin, um, we've decided again to... Uh, I'm really... We decided to have um, take time and uh, participate in uh, what we call the Lumberjack Fair Breakfast. And uh, we missed it last year. There was no fair. And the year before, there was no fair, right? Right, for two years, yeah. So we're going we're gonna to revisit that. It's a lot of fun. Um, anyway, Christina has, uh, is going to fill you in on kind of some direction here. I love that this was this was a just a mission passion outreach of Pastor Terry's heart. And so in lieu of our Sunday morning, so we will not have Sunday morning service here um, on the third what day is that? Is it eighteenth? Eighteenth, right? Yeah. So Sunday the eighteenth, September eighteenth, we will not have service here. Instead, what we do is we we gather at the rotary booth down there at the park. And we will have prepared food, and we get to serve the carnival workers. And um, it's just a really neat outreach of, you know, they're on the road a lot. And their testimony from that has been pretty awesome, when, you know, those of us that have done it. Um, it's one of the first home-cooked meals they've had in a very, very long time. You know, you can only eat so much fair food, right? And so this is an opportunity for us to bless them and to hear their story and to just minister to them. So that will be like our mission outreach. But in order for that to happen, we need volunteers. So what Jerry has done beautifully is out in the foyer, thank you, Annalise, you'll see this sign that says Lumberjack Fair uh, Breakfast. We need people to sign up to be our crew. So we have a pancake crew, and we have the um, setup crew and sausage crew. And everything that you need to accomplish that, all the directions are there on the board. So take your sheet. If you say, I want to be a pancake crew, you will take the little pancake sheet and it will tell you what you need to do in order for that to happen. Everything will be prepared for you. It's just a matter of coming down there, setting up and, and being part of that. But this morning, what we need is people to sign up for casseroles. Now, it's a breakfast casserole. Something you could put in a crock pot um, or warming. Yeah, just a just a little like aluminum, something that you could, you could put aluminum foil over. Some kind of a breakfast type casserole, so hash browns, eggs, sausage, something like that. Um, a quiche maybe would be kind of fun. So just think breakfast food, and if you'd be willing to do that, I'm going to pass this, or Jerry, you'd pass this. Um, 
and then it'll be available. We're going to be doing some signups for the next couple of weeks because we want to get it nailed down so that we can can uh, make sure that happens. Also, what we do with the fair is we do a baby changing booth, and the fair board has actually gifted us booth space because it's such a service to the community. Um, it actually, when they do their reviews, it comes back as one of the highest reviewed um, things in the fair booth because you know those of you with littles. Um, Having a, a safe place to change your baby, or if you're nursing, having a quiet place from all of the noise to tuck away and to nurse your baby is just such a, a need, and it's just such a nice respite for families. Carrie um, Parker has been in charge of that for a long time. She would love to hand it off if somebody has a passion for this, but she is willing to um, bring direction to us. So if you're willing to help with that, and basically what that is, we have all the stuff. It would be that Thursday, we'll, we'll coordinate with Carrie. It's a matter of showing up down at the fairgrounds, helping her set up the booth. And then those of us that be willing to sign up, we just it just needs to be checked sporadically during the days of the fair. Just making sure there's plenty of diapers, making sure the garbage is emptied. It's really simple, very easy. And then the teardown is Sunday um, after the fair, and we help them tear down and bring everything back to the church. Um, but it's just a great opportunity. A lot of times we'll put... Um, some tracks in there for the mamas or Carrie will have a have a theme, something that the Lord has put on her heart so that as they're sitting there with their babies, they're reminded of God's love for them. And it's just a great, great opportunity to love on our community and our visitors to our community. So um, be looking for that sign-up sheet probably next week and I'll visit with Carrie. And if you've got a heart for that and you want to partner with that, let us know. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I know that in the past, far as the baby changing booth in the past, um, uh, Carrie and Greg have um, always done it and asked for help, and um, they've done a lot of it by themselves, and so we want to you know, bless them and be a part of that, because it's very important, very important. Um, one more thing, um, a little while ago, um, Zach Hahn um, had moved to Lewiston, him and his wife, I think beginning of June or somewhere around there, the end of May, they had moved to Lewiston. He wasn't sure how long he was going to still be here. And so um, I think about the 1st of July or after that, somewhere in there, um, he did send a resignation letter. He stepped down from um, being the elder. And um, so we just want to make sure that um, everyone knows they're, they're in Lewiston, they're on a new journey, they have a new home. Um, everything is great, and uh, it was just too far. He, he thought he, maybe they could travel back and forth, and but, you know, they have a little one, and it's just kind of complicated. So um, we, just, we just send our blessings to them, and, uh, and uh, we know they'll be taken care of down there. So anyway, I wanted to let you know. Was there, was there any other announcements? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. This won't take very long. I only have eight pages. It's all in big print, though. So I thought it would be better. Um, I have a really loud echo up here, Daphne. And I don't know why. Okay, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's start. I want to start by reading a, a few scriptures this morning. And, and you'll probably remember these. Um, Romans 1, 1 through 5. And then we'll be reading Romans 16, 25 through 27. And stand if you 
can. Romans 1, 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the call of Jesus Christ. And then Romans 16, 25 through 27 now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. 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 So um, a couple weeks ago, I was here and I, I brought a message um, attempting to outline the biblical meaning of grace and how it bears on our life. I mentioned in the beginning of that message that Paul chooses us to use verses 2, or chooses to use verses 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 1 to basically unpack the gospel of God before he mentions that through him we have received grace and apostleship. Grace is built on this truth. Just the fact that a son of God came, clothed in human flesh, the Messiah died and rose again for us, for he was triumphant over death, and now because of that, grace becomes sinners. Paul then acknowledges all of this to say, there is nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. For Paul, it was an undeserved power and enablement to be an apostle. Freely given for ministry, as for us it is not changed, it is also an, an undeserved power and enablement, enablement for ministry. There is nobody in the sanctuary that has received grace because of your accomplishment. It was received as a gift by faith, and it was not merited by works. So, grace is not only received by faith, it aims at faith. What I mean by that statement is what I picked up from what Paul said in verse one or chapter 1, verse 5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship. For for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. It aims at something tangible. As we briefly touched on the effects of grace and the obedience of faith in the last message two weeks ago, I want to now just go a little further and try to tie several things together, and hopefully there is somebody here that needs to hear this. And I say that not jokingly either, because I needed to hear this again. And I stayed up till late last night and got up early this morning digging and pawing and I needed to be refreshed and, and read and, and study and, and I needed this. So I think we all need this. 
Romans is a I got to throw this in here. Romans is such a fascinating book. They say it is like the ultimate. It is the ultimate book in the Bible. And and I agree. I agree. If if you are given the ability to understand what this book is about, it will change your life. In fact, I want to bring up one thing about the book of Romans. I had a friend of mine, you, some of you may have heard this story a long time ago, but I had a friend of mine that I had known since um, probably about 2001. And he he was a Christian, a good man. He did something um, about 2002 or three that was fascinating. I thought only a godly man could do that. It was What he did was just absolutely fascinating, how he handled the business situation. Um, we worked together back and forth. He lives in Tennessee. We worked together for several years. And then um, I kind of lost track of him for just a, a few years. And I got a hold of him again. His name's Robert Lambert. He talks about the Tennessee. And I said, Robert, so how's it going? And he goes, oh, Larry. Oh, Larry, you just got to know. He said, and, and this man is probably um, maybe 55 now. Or maybe he's a little bit older, almost 60, maybe. He goes, oh, Larry, you just got to know. He said, I grew up cutting my teeth on the pews of the church. And he says, I was in church all the time. I was loyal. I was obedient. I did Bible studies. I did everything that you needed to do in church. I went to church all the time. I was faithful. And he said, in 2010, he was at his church and the pastor there was doing a study on Sunday nights in the book of Romans. And he said, Larry, it floored me because I was born again. I didn't know my whole life that just knowing what it said and not applying it to my life, although I thought I was, but there's a reality to this. And so, and I've heard stories like that before uh, where, where the book of Romans has changed people's lives. I'm not here to do the whole book of Romans. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that is how crucial the book of Romans is to us today. And yesterday and tomorrow. Okay? So, last uh, last time I was here, we as we briefly touched on the effects of grace and the obedience of faith in the last message, I want to now just go a little further. What I want to do is try to tie several things together, and hopefully there's someone that needs to hear it. I said that again for a reason, because sometimes I need to hear it. And lots of times when I'm doing a study, I'm going to go through this. When I'm doing a study, I get to a certain part and, and I'm writing all these things down and, and walking through the Bible. And, and all of a sudden, God just says, hold it. You're going the wrong direction. You're kind of going the right direction, but here's something else added to it. Okay, so as you can see in the beginning of Romans in verse 1, 5, and the ending of Romans in verse or chapter 16, verse 26. Okay, if you compare those two together, I don't know how we could do that up there. But Paul brings up obedience of faith. And if the glory of the only wise God through Jesus Christ, because that's what it said, is the ultimate goal of all things in these verses, according to verse 16, 27, then the obedience of faith is next to the obedience next to the ultimate goal 
of all things in these verses. Okay, let me say that again. Then the obedience of faith is next to the ultimate goal of all things in these verses. And that is because when faith in Jesus Christ produces obedience to Jesus Christ, then those obedient lives make God look glorious. Let your light shine before others, said Jesus in Matthew 5.16, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul begins his doxology, which is in chapter 16, by saying that one of the reasons glory belongs to God is that he's able to strengthen us. Verse 25, now to him who is able to strengthen you, be glory forevermore. Between that opening declaration that God can strengthen your faith and the closing acclamation that God is glorious, Paul unpacks the gospel as the very thing that God uses to strengthen our faith. I, when I, every time I read or say the word gospel, I think of James. You. Because he is, he is like, he loves the gospel. He said it many, many times. The gospel isn't merely God's reaction to sin. The gospel has roots Verse 25 says, he strengthens us according to my gospel. So he simply strikes the note that this message is good news. That is what gospel means. We are made strong. We are made strong by good news. Then he calls the gospel the preaching of Jesus Christ. That means that the heart of the gospel is good news about who Jesus Christ is and what he did. When he came and died and rose again. And the first eight chapters of Romans is his baseline for this. Please don't be afraid to study the book of Romans. The gospel is the means to obedience because it is the means to faith. And obedience comes from faith. Okay, these are important little words I'm sticking in here. There's four little things I want to point out real quick. The gospel strengthens our faith. Even mine last night and this morning at 4 o'clock. I can say that. The gospel strengthens your faith. The gospel has roots in eternity. It also has roots in history. And the gospel is the means to faith. Faith produces obedience. Romans 10, 17 so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's the ultimate goal of the gospel. The gospel awakens and strengthens faith that leads to conformity to Christ, which then displays the glory of God. I'm trying to tie this all together. It's, I'm saying the same thing over and over in different ways. So in the beginning and the ending of this letter, Paul says that the gospel and his apostleship, and by implication, our ministry and your life, has this great aim, that Jesus Christ would be seen as glorious, magnificent, among all the peoples of the world by means of the obedience of Christians which flows from their faith in him. 
So as I said in the beginning of this message, I wanted to try and tie some important things together. And I'm going to tell you this. This is, this is the honest truth. There is so much in this book of Romans that this is only just a fragment. Just a fragment. But I realized in doing so that to tie this all together, I must use a use a like a bonding agent. That's the only word I could come up with. A justification. To get where I want where I'm wanting to go. Because justification is a huge doctrine in this book. And how does the obedience of faith relate to justification? If you have your Bibles, you could turn to chapter five. I'm gonna kind of cruise around in there for a moment. I was going to begin in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith is one of the greatest realities that the book of Romans teaches. I'll give an example. And as I give this example, I have to remember my salvation. I'm going to talk about a courtroom for a minute. And my salvation was like a spiritual courtroom. So you'll get the gist of it here in just a minute. We all stand before God in a courtroom. And there... He either justifies us or he condemns us. If he justifies us, it means he is found in our favor in this courtroom. He declares us to be just. That is what justify means. Again, he declares us to be just. But what is the indictment that we brought into this courtroom? What is this very indictment against us? I think we see the answer in Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There's none here. There's none anywhere. And that's the indictment that we bring. We were in rebellion to God. We are being assessed by a omnip, omniscient. Say the word. Omnis, omnip, um, why can't I say that word? No. Omnip. Omnip. All knowing. That's how you would say it, huh? Thank you. We okay. We are being assessed by an all-knowing judge. You can't fool him. He knows absolutely everything about my sin. Everything. This all-knowing judge considers all the factors that are relevant to my case. And he declares this sinner not guilty. Or to put it more starkly, he declares this unrighteous man righteous. Kind of looks a little different to me now. Because instead of putting the word God in there, I could put in the word Father. 
that kind of changes everything. Because I remember my salvation when when this happened, and and how could a God like that love somebody like me? You are a visitor here, or maybe you've been coming here for quite a while, and you're not a Christian. I want to point this out. This is the center of Christianity. No religion in this world, not in, has this, or has come up with this idea. something called justification by faith alone. So here we are in this courtroom guilty sinners all of us and the judge renders the verdict righteous you're righteous absolutely the life changing court How can God justify the ungodly and be a just judge? Well, one way to describe Paul's answer is to put it in three steps. So, this is kind of the ground underneath this outrageous verdict. The ground. I wanted to say the root, but it's really the ground underneath this verdict. It's three steps. Number one. First, we trust in Jesus alone as the ground and basis of our justification, not in anything we are or do or are helped to do. This is what Romans 5.1 means when it says, we have been justified by faith. Second, through this faith in Jesus alone as the ground and basis of our justification, we are united to Christ so that we are in him. Okay? We have a union with him. That's why Romans 8.1 corresponds to Romans 5.1. There is now therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The key phrase there is in Christ Jesus. In Christ there is no condemnation. That is, in Christ we are justified. Through faith we are united to Christ. And united to Christ, we are justified. Third, in Christ, the righteousness of Christ, or the obedience of Christ, or you could say the righteousness of God in Christ, is now imputed to us. It is counted as ours. You can find this in Romans 4, 6, and 11. When God declares that we are righteous, there is a real basis for it, in the righteousness of Christ. It's not a charade. It is the one thing, it's, it's the one thing to be forgiven when you are unrighteous. It is glorious and costly. It costs God the life of his son. But it is another thing, an even more amazing thing, for God to say that the unrighteous are righteous. If forgiving the unrighteous is astonishing, then calling the unrighteous righteous is 
in a glorious way, outrageous. There is a free gift here of Christ's righteousness. This is why Paul moves at the end of Romans 5 to show the basis for our being counted righteous. Look at verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, Adam's, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, God's grace reigns through the free gift of righteousness to secure us for eternal life. In which direction should we be thinking about this free gift of righteousness? Consider verse 19. I'm still in chapter 5. For as by one man's disobedience, Adams, the many were made or appointed sinners. So by the one man's obedience, Christ, the many will be made or appointed righteous. In other words, the free gift of righteousness, verse 17, that we received by grace is the one man's obedience. Did you get that? The free gift of righteousness that we received by grace is the one man's obedience by which we are counted righteous. This is the ground and it is the basis for our justification. Christ and his obedience. We're now getting close to the way our obedience, the obedience of faith, relates to justification. We looked at verse 21, which is the last verse of chapter 5. Verse 21, So that as sin reigns in death, grace might also reign through righteousness. Looking back to verse 17, Leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how then does our own obedience, the obedience of faith, relate to to justification? The answer is, our obedience is not the ground or the basis of our justification. Right? Nor is it any part of the instrument or means by which we are not united to Christ, who alone is the ground and the basis of our justification. Faith alone unites us to Christ, and Christ alone is the ground of our justification. If your faith in Christ leaves you unchanged, I have to say it. If your faith in Christ leaves you unchanged, you don't have saving faith. Our obedience is the fruit of that faith. The faith that justifies is the kind of faith that, by the Holy Spirit, Romans 8.13, changes us. If your faith in Christ leaves you unchanged, you don't have saving faith. Obedience and not perfection, but a new direction of thought and affections and behavior is the fruit that shows that the faith is alive. James put it this way, and I know you've all heard this. So also, he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Does that did that click? Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. It is always accompanied by the newness of life. We must live in the joy and assurance of the gospel. When Paul begins and ends his letter with the goal of the obedience of faith, he means for us to live in the joy and the assurance of the first five chapters of Romans, where he shows that we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then, out of that faith and peace and assurance and boldness, a new mind and a new man emerge. And the fruit of obedience grows. And the reality of justifying faith is made manifest. So I want to close with this. I don't want to leave you hanging. What is obedience of faith? What does it look like? This may surprise you. I'm going to read something. And I just, I'll tell you where it's at when I'm done. But I want you just to, I want you just to close your eyes and I just want you to hear my voice. Okay? I'm going to read something and I just want you to hear my voice. Just take it in. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then, having then gifts according, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay 
no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is the entire Roman chapter 12. It's all packed in the middle of this letter. That is obedience to faith, obedience to Jesus. Right there. Please allow me to say this again. I'm repeating myself for a reason here. Our obedience is not the ground or the basis of our justification, nor is it any part of the instrument or means by which we are united to Christ, who alone is the ground and the basis of our justification. Faith alone unites us to Christ, and Christ alone is the ground of our justification. I think I brought that up for a reason. If you look at that Romans chapter 12 and you read down that list, and if you say, well, I do all those things, I've never surrendered to God, but I do all those things. What's the end result? ask that you will trust in Christ alone as the ground and basis of your justification before God, present and future. And that this faith prove its life and truth by producing a passion for obedience to God, which is the obedience of faith. Amen? While the worship team comes up, just pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for awakening me again to this important truth of who you are, what the gospel is, justification, saving faith, and obedience of faith. Father, I just pray that somewhere in this building, if not all of them, but somewhere in this building, somebody is grabbing something here which will make them hungry and will make them want to dig into that word more and more and more. They can recognize who they are in you. Father, again, I just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And Father, bless this body. Bless this sanctuary.